All right, guys, welcome back to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and we are back this week with another episode having to do with deer hunting in the desert, specifically Arizona, although we talk about Mexico a little bit. My guest this week is a guy who's got tons of experience doing this type of hunting. Uh, His name is Jay Scott. You may have seen him on Meat Eater. He also has a really big podcast um, called Jay Scott Outdoors. And just a wealth of knowledge about glassing and optics and coos deer and just all kinds of stuff relating to hunting in the desert. So as I've mentioned before, I am heading out to Arizona to bow hunt for mule deer and cues deer um, in mid-January. So I've been talking to a couple people lately just about this hunt specifically, trying to learn about it. And I wanted to get these episodes out so that other guys who might be planning a trip out there or been thinking about doing it in the future would get some timely information about this hunt so again there's a lot of really great uh, over-the-counter archery opportunity in January and it's a really awesome way to extend your season I'm really looking forward to going out there and running around chasing animals in January so if it's something you guys are planning on doing or maybe just dreaming about doing in the future uh, like I said the tag is over the counter in many units Um, they just did close down a few units uh, for the -the over-the-counter opportunity but there still is a lot available so Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, Jay's a really interesting guy. We talk about hunting, but we also talk about his story and him getting into the industry and his faith a little bit. He's a man of faith. And uh, just life is one of those ones where the conversation flowed pretty easily. Um, So I hope you guys enjoy it. I think you will. Um, Please go ahead and leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thanks again for all your support and looking forward to sharing some content with you guys from Arizona um, and more stuff coming up this year. So be on the lookout for that. And thanks as always for your support. And we'll see you next week. All right, so I'm here today, guys, with my guest, uh, Jay Scott from Jay Scott Outdoors. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm good. So you don't know this yet, but I'm actually headed out your way. I got my plane tickets booked, and I'm headed to Arizona um, January 9th through 19th. Nice. So looking For forward to that. Year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a pretty cool time of year because those deer, both coos deer and mule deer are rutting. And so um, it's gained a lot of popularity over the last yeah. few years. Um, but, you know, for years, a lot of the locals and I mean, uh, some non-residents um, really got to enjoy, you know, hunting deer, both coos and muleys during the rut. And a lot of times you can get a javelina permit, you know, Mm -hmm. um, most of it's by draw, but you know, you can put in ahead of time and get a javelina permit at the same time. So, you know, and then you can be chasing quail. So, I mean, it's, it's the time of year that, you know, the weather is nice in Arizona and um, a lot of people really like to get out and enjoy, um, you know, watching deer rut and do their thing for sure. Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm a deer junkie. And so just the idea of the fact that, you know, I'm in, on the East coast, I'm in Virginia and I got to do a fair amount of traveling. So I've been hunting deer since August. I started this August up in Kodiak hunting Sitka blacktails. And just the fact that, um, the season's not over yet. It just charges me up. You know what I mean? It's one more opportunity to get out there and chase deer around. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I think that draws people for this archery hunt. Um, it's in January, the weather, you know, we think it's cold, uh, for us, (laughs) uh, but you know, it's probably mid twenties in the morning and warms up, you know, sixties, seventies, sometimes even, you know, low eighties, we Mm. hope not for better deer hunting, but, um, you know, the sunshine is the big thing. I, I take people down to Mexico and Cooster hunt down there in January. And a lot of the hunters that come, they just, they're laid back and, you know, they're looking for deer, but they're like, Jay, it's raining straight down. It's snowing. It's, you know, the sleeting where I come from, you know, this, this 65, 70 degree weather is, is, uh, you know, a a huge bonus. And then we get to look at rutting deer. It's awesome. 
Yeah, it's so cool, man. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I um, never hunted in Arizona. Um, I did get a chance to. Uh, I wasn't really technically hunting. I was filming an elk hunt in um, New Mexico this year, but that was cool just being in a different environment, you know, and uh, the desert's so beautiful and so unique. You know, I come from swampy, high humidity, mosquitoes everywhere, you know, kind of environment and just flat as a pancake. So it's just really beautiful to get that completely different terrain, you know, see this different stuff that God's created, you know. I think the big thing too is um, it's so wide open. Um, mm. The little bit that I've been back east, you know, everything's really green. You've got a lot of, you know, heavy vegetation and, and big tall trees. And out here, you can see, you know, the yeah. skyline in every direction. And you've got a lot of open space and and open open sky, if you will. And you know, it it brings uh, glassing and being able to you know view and monitor deer with optics uh, into mm -hmm. play, where you know a lot of people um don't get to you know sit down and you know just glass a hillside for two or three hours yeah um, you know or or a couple of days uh for that matter um so if, from that aspect uh there's there's a i i know why there's a big draw here in arizona during the archery gear hunt for sure now they have made a bunch of changes on units and close some down and so make sure you check the regs to figure out where you're going and make sure everything's sure. open. Um, because yeah. it used to be pretty much other than the Kaibab and the strip, it used to be pretty much statewide, just wide open, mm. um, most of December and most of January. Um, so just anybody out there listening, if, if you haven't checked, go ahead and check the regulations and yeah. make sure wherever you're, you're planning to go is, is open and, and, uh, still, still legal to hunt. Yeah. Fortunately for me, I'm going to go and be meeting up with some guys out there that know a little bit more about what they're doing, have done it before. So, um, I'll have a little bit of help on my side, but, um, yeah. And the other thing too, about just being out there is, um, you know, I love spot and stalk style hunting and, you know, out here, like I said, it's flat as a pancake. The only cover you're going to get is trees and brush and you, good luck sneaking through that on a whitetail. Um, so it's just, next to maybe maybe even impossible to spot and stalk actually i did make it a goal this year to spot and stalk you know kill a whitetail and i did actually get it done on a doe kind of getting creative but uh it's almost impossible without any terrain features yeah i mean i you know if you're coming out here one of the things that you're going to like is you know ridge lines hills mountains yeah um you know being able to kind of watch and see what the deer are doing and then make an efficient plan to maybe go up and around or you know get get in position where they might work their way towards you yeah. um i would encourage you to uh, if you can hunt with a buddy, whether you're using hand signals or radios, radios are legal out here. Oh, that's good to know. Um, but you know, whether someone's just directing you by, you know, hand signals or, or, or through your earbud, um, get in a position that you think the deer will move towards you. In other words, um, don't constantly be trying to press it in the desert, you know, and, and inching in on them and trying to get in their bedroom maybe get a little get the wind right get over kind of close to where they're running around and then mm -hmm. the percentages are that you know you have a pretty good chance that they're going to come towards you at some point in time mm. i think a lot of people try and just go right in and stock into you know 30 yards and they end up getting caught because the you know the desert's hard to stock in it's loud yeah. um I think a, a more efficient plan would be to kind of get the wind right and then just play the odds of, you know, are they moving in a certain direction? Can mm -hmm. I get kind of where they're going? And then, then they come to you and you let things happen rather than so many stocks that I see people make and that I've made myself where you just feel like you just need to get in there on them instead of being patient. And yeah. kind of letting them work towards you. A, a thing I like to do and have done for years is like, watch them for a while. Mm -hmm. And even if it's a certain big buck, watch him for a day or two and just figure out what he's doing. He may go through the same, you know, rut some does and then walk up through a saddle two, three days in a row. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can play that game where you're just waiting for that deer to, to follow that same pattern that he's done, where he's rutting some does, you know, you're fighting with chasing some other bucks. And then he goes off to, you know, off through the saddle, you can be sitting there and waiting. Um, and I think a lot of people don't really, they just see a buck and they just go after it because yeah. of limited time, which is understandable. Sure. 
Yeah, I'll have a pretty good amount of time out there, so hopefully I can be a little bit patient. So it's, it's almost like a, a combination of spot and stalk and ambush style hunting, kind of a little bit of both mixed in there. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't rule out, um, you know, if, if it's hot and dry, um, you know, and, and it hasn't rained and there's not a lot of water. If you go down in the canyon bottoms and just see water everywhere, that it'll be tough. But if it's dry and hasn't rained in a couple of weeks, um, I would not during the peak of the rut, I would not, uh, you know, pass up the opportunity to sit, you know, from say midday, uh, or, or mid morning through mid afternoon on a water hole. Cause mm. a lot of times those bucks are chasing does and they, they run over and get a drink. Um, so if you find a, if you find a tank, that's got quite a bit of deer sign on it, you know, that's something you could do from, you know, say nine o'clock to three o'clock, you know, and, and, you know, spot and stock them first light and last light, and then kind of sit and, um, you know, see if something comes to get a drink. Yeah. So how, how has it been out there? Has it been dry or what's, what's the kind of the conditions like now? So we had an incredible, uh, wet summer. We had just unbelievable, uh, monsoon rains, uh, and the feed is very, very good. That's good. Uh, then we entered into a period probably for the last, oh, say 90 days where it's been really, really dry. Okay. Um, and then as of last week and actually today we we're getting a little storm. So, um, you know, I would say that between now and when you're coming out is what I would watch, but it looks like we might have a storm or two, uh, kind of coming through. So that's gonna probably put water, uh, little potholes and kind of all over and might rule out the, the water sitting, but you never know out here if it, if it gets, uh, you know, hot and that water evaporates and, and then they're, you know, and habitually they go to those, um, dirt water tanks as well. Um, even, even if there's puddles, they just, they, when there's puddles around and they can get water readily available, they don't tend to go back to their pattern of using those water holes. Yeah. Okay. Um, how's the, uh, temperature been? Has it been pretty cool or warm or? No, it's, it's been normal. Um, I would say normal to hot, uh, okay. or warmer than normal. Um, you know, and you can pretty much bet it's going to be, you know, twenties, thirties, uh, in the morning and it'll warm up to, you know, high sixties, mid seventies during the day and, and, uh, pretty, pretty repeatable pattern there. Pretty okay. predictable. So yeah, even for me, I mean, honestly, where I'm located 20 is, is pretty cold. So that'll be nice. Well, don't, I mean, 20 mid twenties in the desert will surprise you how cold it'll feel. I don't know. Oh, if yeah driving a ranger or quads or if you're just going in a truck but you know we're hunting in mexico a lot in january and have those you know long uh utv rides uh you know sometimes an hour on some of these different ranches an hour hour and a half in the morning and in the yeah. mid-20s it'll get your attention for sure yeah it was it wasn't that cold when i was in new mexico i think a couple mornings it was in the 30s i think we may have gotten ice a couple mornings like a light frost um, but yeah, it usually started off about an hour on ATV, which was pretty miserable. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah, to mention it, I was crammed in the back of a one person ATV, like was not designed for two people. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, man, I, I would like to, um, you know, dig a little more into the details on deer hunting and stuff like that. But I kind of wanted to first just kind of hear a little bit about you and kind of your story and you know, how you got into the industry and, um, and just kind of what, what your journey has been like. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's been a, a fun ride. Uh, I'll be 49 here in February and I've been doing this a long time. Uh, you know, I started out as a kid, uh, didn't really have, um, my, my dad's didn't really hunt. Um, my, my grandfather was a cattle rancher and my grandmother, uh, got me field and stream and outdoor life magazine. And nice. as a kid, you know, five, six, seven, you know, 10 years old, I can, I was the kid that was, um, folding the corner of the magazine on little articles and kept a stack of them. And I could, <laughs> I knew right where to go when I, you know, when it was bass fishing time and okay, look up some tips and stuff. Yeah. And are you um, from Arizona originally? It, well, I was born in California, but moved okay. over here when I was one. And, and so, I feel like I'm an Arizona native. Yeah. Um, and it, long story short, I just always had a fascination with hunting and fishing and, and uh, some friends of mine, their dad, uh, took me when, when I was, you know, kind of, a 
low teenager, if you will, um, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade type mm-hmm. of thing, and um, just fell in love with it. And as soon as I was able to uh, get my uh, first vehicle, um, you know, then I was uh, footloose and fancy free and able to go <laughs> do those things. I also played golf at the same time in, okay. in uh, grade school and high school and college. And so that took up a lot of my time. Um, as soon as college was over with, uh, you know, that's when I was able to really pursue, uh, hunting and fishing without being tied to a, a a golf schedule or, you know, trying to, you know, keep coaches happy and that kind of stuff. Um, and long story short, uh, 97, I got a guide's license. The reason I got a guide's license is just to, um, maybe increase my amount of time I could spend in the field. And mm-hmm. if I got a guide's license, I could quote unquote, you know, justify my time in the field, even though I wasn't making any money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, a way to do it more. And, um, I also started my real estate career right out of, uh, college, uh, 1997, I got my real estate license and, um, you know, I've been selling real estate ever since I'm, uh, did a little bit of agency work where I was representing buyers and sellers, but uh, after a couple of years, very quickly just uh, started buying properties for myself and investing in real estate and land and um, residential rentals and income producing properties and stuff. Mm. And that's my main bread and butter business uh, right there. And that's been able to allow me to, uh, you know, af- afford, uh, allow me to afford all of the things that I've been able to do and hunting and fishing and, yeah. you know, traveling the West, uh, you know, I don't, for since 1997, I've been out of Arizona, you know, all over the West, uh, fly fishing and, um, gone the entire summer and, uh, you know, elk hunting. I was, I was a guide in Arizona for 20 years. I did, uh, elk hunts for 20 years. Uh, and then in 2017, um, I uh, was asked by a friend to be a ranch manager of his ranch that he bought at the Ot Six Ranch in Colorado. It's a fifty thousand mm. acre ranch. Wow! Um, and we just finished our fifth season there. I'm I'm at the Ot Six uh, September and half of October. Uh, then we come back here to Arizona. Uh, in the middle of all that, uh, around that same time, actually before I got out of college and. Uh, end of 95, 96, I actually went to Mexico for the first time. Mm. And, um, uh, as, as, as I grew fonder and fonder of Mexico from the first time I went there, I just was fascinated with the Sonoran desert and, uh, started taking hunters. And this will be my 26th season, uh, January where I'm, uh, taking hunters in Mexico and we do, uh, primarily coos deer hunts and this will be my 13th spring uh doing uh gould's turkeys so Hmm. we have a coos deer and gould's turkey operation there in mexico both in sonora and chihuahua mexico and it's really grown over the years uh it's something that uh you know it's uh you, you you know you've got arizona uh, and then you've got Mexico and the thing that's so alluring about Mexico is you have, um, a higher buck to doe ratio. So you've got more bucks. Uh, and then obviously the properties that we're hunting in Mexico are private properties. So, uh, you, you know, you can leave a buck that, um, maybe earlier in the week, you want to kind of keep, keep looking and see mm-hmm. if you can find a better buck. You can come back and a lot of times find that buck. Whereas, you know, on public land in Arizona, you know, as soon as you walk away from a buck, you don't know if that buck will ever be there. Um, a lot of times they are, but a lot of times mentally, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, when you don't see them for a couple of days, you think maybe somebody else got them. Yeah. That, that, so that's kind of a nut, uh, you know, my life in a nutshell, uh, outfitter, real estate investor, uh, also started my podcast, uh, J Scott outdoors, um, yeah. Western hunting and fishing podcast, um, back in February of 2015. Uh, so that will be seven years old here nice. in two months in, in February, Got, which is a long time for a yeah, in the podcast world. Yeah. Over 800 episodes. And wow. it's, it's been a real blessing to, um, you know, be able to have conversations with guys and, uh, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't get messages from people that have listened to the podcast and, you know, gain some bit of knowledge from the guests, uh, that, that I have on. 
And so for me, that's the reward. Um, the reward is to be able to help people yeah. uh, be better and be more successful and, and enjoy themselves outdoors. You know, I've been so blessed with the encounters and experiences that I've had outdoors. Uh, you know, the older I get, all I want to do is be able to share uh, mm -hmm. what I know and hope that uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of people listening young or old that might, uh, be able to, to encounter half the things that I've, you know, seen and heard and, mm. and been through. So, um, that's, that's kind of the carrot, uh, out at, in front of me dangling in front of me at all times is, you know, just trying to uh, pass along whatever I can to help people. For sure, man. Um, yeah, I know you got a lot of great content, um, on your Instagram page, I think the first thing in your bio says saved by grace. So I'm interested to hear like how faith has played a role or like when, you know, were you raised in the church or did you get saved as a adult or how'd that all go yeah, down? Yeah. So I, I was raised, uh, in a church of Christ, um, church and, um, about 12 or 13, I told my parents I wanted to get baptized and I did. And, um, you know, every day, as you know, every day life is a struggle. And, yeah. uh, you know, if I wasn't saved by grace, uh, I'd be in a, I'd be in a world of hurt because, you know, <laughs> we're all, we all have a sinful nature and we all wake up and, and, uh, we're sinners. That's what we are. And, uh, I'm just grateful that I have, uh, you know, Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior and yeah, without yeah, him, uh, without him, I'd be rolling around in the gutter and, uh, <laughs> Me too. You know, so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I constantly have to remind myself, um, you know, who I am and, and, and what I'm here for. Yeah. Uh, but it's something to, that's nice to have, uh, as a daily reminder and, and something to lean on to. Yeah, man. And, you know, I think, I think, um, guys like us, you know, um, I think God put our love of the outdoors and hunting into us, you know, um, have you, you know, learned any specific lessons about God or have you learned anything about God through hunting or have you learned anything about hunting, uh, through your relationship with God? Well, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, it's probably a, a, a nine hour podcast, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think it comes down to what I've learned is life is tough. Just like going on a hunt is tough and you have to be patient and there's, mm going to be all sorts of things that get thrown in your path and you know you come out and they've got a flat quad tire and then you you know you fix it and you get down the road and you get to the gate and there you know the gate's got a lock on it and you know just certain things and it seems like every day I'm just constantly uh you know these hurdles and you know there'll be a time I'll just you know throw a tantrum and get all upset and you know all bent out of shape and then I have to remind myself that that you know, maybe the flat tire, maybe that was there for a reason. And maybe it was there to test me to see how I would handle it. And maybe, yeah. you know, me yelling at the lady at the bank yesterday, because, you know, she couldn't open a new account, <laughs> and I had to set an appointment, maybe there's a reason uh, for things that are out of my control that I need mm. to just, you know, let, uh, you know, roll off my back, so to speak, I'm, kind yeah. of, I'm, I'm a real type A personality. And so I have you know, I'm constantly fighting, uh, you know, being self-reliant and, um, mm -hmm. you know, not leaning on, uh, you know, his promises and his, his principles. Um, so I, you know, it, it seems like every day I get a little slap in the face to, uh, bring me back down to, <laughs> to earth. remind you. Yeah. A little reminder for sure. Yeah. I I'm similar. I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and it seems like I almost have to relearn it on every hunt in some ways, but I think I'm getting better at remembering it. But, um, you know, a lot of times you put so much pressure on yourself to, to fill that tag or whatever, and you, and you kind of step outside the experience and you kind of stop enjoying it on some level. And, and I was like, like in Kodiak this year, you know, we, we shot, we filled my, my friend's tag and we got it all on camera and we're like, okay, cool. And we were seeing a bunch of deer and we're like, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to tag out early. We're going to get an awesome film made and it's going to be sweet. And we, we filled that first tag the next day. It was four straight days of rain and fog and the bucks just disappeared. And like for three days I was getting stressed and, you know, we spent all this money and I'm not going to get anything else on camera and da, da 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 And then I had this moment, which I've had on hunts before 
I always bring a little pocket Bible with me. And one of my favorite things to go back to is uh, Psalm 37. You know, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm done worrying about this. I am in this amazing place. Like, look where I am right now. It's a blessing just to be here. Um, and I'm complaining about not filling a tag. So I just said, you know, I'm going to enjoy this trip no matter what. And, and it seems like I always learn, like when I just let go and let God, it sounds cliche, but just enjoy the experience, enjoy God, you know, delight in him. And then, um, you know, it was on that fourth day or the, the fifth day was our last day out there. Weather cleared, high pressure rolled in, and me and my buddy doubled up on two really nice bucks within 30 seconds of each other and just had a glorious last day and pack out. And uh, that's something that I always get reminded of when I'm out there, you know? Yeah, and, you know, the older I get, the more I understand that it's uh, it's more about the experience and mm. it's more about just the overall um you know flow of the trip and totally. you know a long time ago i tried to remove the um you know success of the trip based on if you get one or not and mm-hmm. you know i think sometimes people kind of get a misconceived uh you know thought with me because i'm so into trying to help people learn how to field judge and score and 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 be more proficient at you know judging these animals and i think some people that don't know me really well think that you know oh on the face value or on on the surface that all he cares about is score and the reality is it's so much it's so it couldn't be further from the truth um with that being said i think there's a place for being very uh efficient and Mm -hmm. you know doing things uh right and trying to be accurate and for me you know field judging um why it's taken such a big part of you know some of the content and stuff that i produce is Basically, so when you're hunting with your buddies and you're looking at a buck and he's like, well, how big is it? You know, and, and, and you, if you don't have any idea, right. you know, who wants to hunt with someone that when he calls you over and says, I got a big buck and you get over there and it's not. Yeah. And you just, you know, got out of your tree stand or whatever you were doing and came all the way over there and looked at his photo or whatever. And like, it's not a big buck. <laughs> um, but circling back, like, I think I try and tell my hunters, uh, whatever hunt we're going on, let's just, you know, there's going to be things that happen that we just shake our head mm-hmm. and think, how did we even get ourselves in this mess? And, and what you see on Instagram is not, it, it's not a true depiction of how things Absolutely. go. We all know that. I mean, we yeah. see the trophy photo at the end and then you think, oh man, he just went out there in a day and found this giant buck and or bull or ram or whatever, but we all know that, you know, you're sliding up and down cliffs and grabbing cat claw and, you know, getting slapped in the face by brush (laughs) and flat tires and all that stuff. It's just part of the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, so with me, you know, on all these hunts that I'm organizing and, you know, trying to put together as an outfitter, uh, I always enjoy doing, you know, my two full weeks of guiding hunters myself where, I can kind of take the outfitter hat off and become more of the guide and become mm-hmm. more of, you know, like that's an agave cactus. That's a Palo Verde tree. This is a mesquite tree. That's is a century plant, you know, and kind of show them something that maybe they've never even seen or heard of, or, yeah. you know, go through some of the different, uh, you know, uh, grasses and, and, you know, what have you, and, and, you know, make it point out stuff that they never even thought of. Um, in other words, there's a bigger picture out there for sure. I'm um, watching sunsets, you know, people, I used to catch some flack cause I would constantly be taking pictures of sunsets and sunrises, mm. uh, and, and posting them, you know, and cause I enjoy them. Um, yeah. for me, it's like, you know, your, your head is swimming and you know, where's that buck at, where's he going to be? where do I need to be? And then all of a sudden you're hiking in and you look up your headlamps on and you look up and just the sky is just blowing up in front of you. And then you go, wait a minute, I'm just a small little piece in this Mm -hmm. whole picture and puzzle. Um, so that's why I, I, I enjoy sunsets and sunrises. Yeah, man, you gotta take the time to, to enjoy those little things and, um, and get the whole picture. Like you were saying, um, do you have a, a favorite Western hunt? Like if you had to pick one that you could just only do the rest of your life? You know, I get asked that question a lot. Um, and my wife would say that whatever season it is, that's what his favorite <laughs> is at the time. And yeah. it's probably true. I mean, right now my mind's totally focused on coos deer. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, I love the Gould's Turkey in the spring. I love all turkeys, but you know, for me, the Gould's Turkey are really, really special. The coos deer are special. Um, I always say that there's, I really don't have one thing that I enjoy the most. And, yeah. and honestly, if I answered it, honestly, there probably is one or two that I might enjoy over a long period of time more. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that I think is huge, uh, for someone that's been doing it as long as I have, is I have, you know, my fishing that I go really hard at in the summer and then I'm done. I don't fish at all till the next summer. Mm-hmm. Then I have elk. Then I have coos deer, then I have turkey, then I have big, you know, bighorn sheep. In other words, my mind is, is constantly running so fast. It's nice to be all in on some, some yeah. adventure or, or focus on an animal. Like right now it's rutting coos deer coming up in the month of January, a little over a month away. And then as soon as it's over, it kind of shuts off and it starts transitioning into spring turkey and, you know, getting all my turkey stuff set. And yeah, so. you know, I would, there's some people out there and, you know, they just love, you know, what I would call Eastern white tailed deer. And that's all they want to do. And that's great. Fantastic. But I would encourage people out there to have things you love, but it's so nice to be able to have, when you get older, Mm -hmm. it's so nice to have multiple number of things that you love so that you don't get burned out on one thing. There's a lot of people that I know that, you know, they love to chase wild turkey and that's all they like to do. But after 30 years of it, some of them kind of just think it gets old. Yeah. So with me, with real estate, with podcasting, you know, with the hunting, with the fishing, it's nice to be able to have things to really intensely focus on, but then be able to basically wash it out and move on to the next thing and keep you energized. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, variety is, is the spice of life. And that's why I love Western hunting too, is just a variety of uh, you know, ecosystems and species and just, uh, especially coming from, um, you know, I love deer hunting. Um, that's how I got my start, but, um, like going out this year to Wyoming and taking an antelope and just learning about new speed. It's just so cool, man. There's just so much cool stuff out there that God created for us to enjoy, man. Yeah. Um, And and not only that, I think, you know, you look all over the world, I think it's easy for us, you know, Americans, we have great hunting in, in our country, but I mean, there is some phenomenal hunting and fishing all across the world. And I, I, I see it so much that, you know, guys, gals, whatever, they're in their element, they're in their backyard, they're in, that's what they're focused on. What they don't understand is someone across the globe on the other side of the world could be focusing on their animal or their fish or their mm-hmm. adventure and have just as much passion. Yeah. Um, and it, I think we, as humans, I think we just tend to like, think what we're doing is the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would encourage people, you know, broaden your horizons and, you know, travel all over and, you know, try and if, if that's what you're into, try and experience as much as you possibly can. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so you, do you gravitate more? To, it sounds like you gravitate more towards the coos deer than the mule deer though, huh? You know, so the mule deer hunting around here, we have some really good hunting on the Arizona Strip and on the Kaibab. This year was a really rough year, probably one of the worst antler growth years we've mm-hmm. had in a long, long time. But as far as size of bucks um, and then the rest of the state is what I would kind of call mediocre mule deer. And okay. what's hard is, you know, I hunted Colorado uh, during some of the biggest boom and biggest deer periods of time on some of the best places. And so mm-hmm. I'm spoiled. really what it boils down to you know it's like you know 200 inch bucks and you know big giant frames and trash and all that kind of stuff arizona other than the strip and the kayabab the rest of the state our deer are what i would call smaller so it's almost like if you were fishing for you know 10 15 years and you're catching you know 10 pound largemouth bass Mm -hmm. and they're just smashing the surface and you know giant fish would you be as energized about maybe going and catching four pound fish? Probably not. That's kind of how I am with mule deer in the rest of the state in that, (laughs) you know, there's some really nice bucks, you know, 160, 170, 180, maybe type bucks. Okay. Um, but I've chased big, big deer for a long time and it just, it's not one of those things that, you know, just drives me. I got you. Um, you know, smaller deer, 
you know, desert deer tend to not have the mass, not have the big boxy frames. And, mm-hmm. you know, people listen and go, oh, what about this buck? And, you know, this one, <laughs> there's always exceptions. Of course, but yeah. General rule, um, I'm a coos deer nut. I love coos deer. I love everything about them. Uh, I love the country they live in. I like how wary they are. Yeah. Um, I've spent very little time hunting Eastern or Midwestern uh, whitetails. I've only uh, gone out to Kansas once and, and got a buck. My experience with, with coos deer or with whitetail is through coos. Um, they're a super glassing oriented animal, glassing intensive. Uh, you know, they're mule deer will you know see you and kind of run off coos deer they'll they'll drop down and bed down almost you know hunker down Hmm. like a quail um it's just one of those things um you know whether it's someone that's a steelhead fisherman or a brown trout fisherman i mean they just have differences you know a coos deer mule deer hunter um when you come out to hunt uh you know, I don't know if you're focusing on mule deer or coos or if you're going to go after both. Um, and, and there's country that both animals kind of overlap in. Yeah. And then there's country that's primarily muleys and primarily coos. General rule of thumb is, you know, when you get up, you know, three, four, five, six thousand feet, you're going to get mostly coos. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, you're in the southern Arizona, you know, most of the stuff, you know, in the 2000, 2500 and lower is mule deer. Okay. Yeah, I was actually going to, I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you like, so for whatever, so first of all, I'm lucky in that I'm sort of like in the beginning of this Western hunting kind of journey where like, you know, I, I'd love to get a nice representative buck, but like, I, like I would probably be happy with like any branch antlered buck, you know, honestly, Mm -hmm. um, you know. I'm just in that phase of life where I'm not looking for a huge trophy. And yeah, that's great. I, yeah. And I somehow, I don't know why I'm just from my gut. I'm somewhat a little bit more attracted to mule deer right now, just cause I never killed I think one. It's the width of mule deer and Maybe. the size. Um, I, and I saw a couple this year when I was out in New Mexico, the first mule deer I've ever seen. I thought they were elk. They were, I yeah. was like, they were huge. I couldn't get over it. I think too, when, you know, you're from Virginia and you're from back East and you see whitetails all the time, there's yeah. not that intrigue like there is say with a mule deer that you don't have. Right. Um, and, and I get that a lot. I get, you know, people really excited about mule deer and mule deer are phenomenal animals. I love them. Yeah. Um, I've just been really spoiled over the years to, to hunt, you know, some of the best places in the world yeah. uh, for mule deer. But I mean, the, the mule deer opportunity out here, um, it's great. I mean, yeah. if, if you come in with the expectations of man, I would be, I would love just a branch antlered buck. Um, your opportunities are endless out here with a bow. And oh, the nice cool. thing is that that time frame that you picked that ninth, I think you said ninth through the 19th, 19th. I mean, that's like prime time for rutting for both of them. Nice. Um, and you know, for, would you recommend for a beginner to, to key on one or to kind of go after both or well, um, I would just glass and, and see what you see. And, and, if, yeah. you know, if you want to focus more on mule deer, I would probably be in a little bit, you know, lower, more, you know, flatter, lower kind of rolly desert. If mm-hmm. you want to focus on coos, you kind of got to get up into the hills a little bit more. And, and there are exceptions to those rules where you have muleys at high and you have coos deer down flat, but right. um, if you're hunting, I don't know if you're hunting Southern Arizona or yeah, Southern, Southern Okay, just so, like not too much or like south of Tucson, but not too far south of Tucson. So, yeah, you're going to focus on like the rolling flatter, more like just little hills and rolling Ocotillo and Palo Verde and, you know, maybe some mesquite. But, you know, the mesquite kind of gets up in that 3000 foot range. But, mm-hmm. you know, the cactus and um, greasewoods and, you know, I would just get. And, and when you're doing your scouting, I would just kind of find, you know, wherever the landscape is that you're hunting, I would look at where can I kind of get up on a little knob? Where can I gain a little bit of elevation where I can get up there and I can look in a 360 degree view or maybe mm-hmm. 180 degree view, see as much country as I can and try and spot these groups of deer. Cause there'll be, you know, does over here with a buck and does over here and kind yeah. of get a lay of where they're at. 
and then make a plan from there. Okay, there's another closer knob that I can get over to and get a little better look at them. Hmm. Of course, if you're just going after a branch antlered buck, that's a great position to be in because pretty much if you see a, a buck of any size, you're going to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll go see if I can get over close to it. Um, I, I, I think the biggest key for anyone coming and, and learning how to Western hunt, whatever animal you're hunting is use your eyes and be efficient and, and put those binoculars on a tripod hmm. and spend a couple hours in the morning, just looking in all directions, trying to, okay, there's quite a few deer over here to the North. There's not as many to the South. Why is that? Oh, there's a water hole over here. They're really close and that's why they're there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, try and basically kind of dissect what's going on and then make a plan as to how am I going to be efficient and get over there and kind of get in their bedroom, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, just kind of starting with a really wide funnel and like just over the days trying to put the puzzle pieces together and figure it out. It's so cool when it all comes together. Yeah. I always say we're tightening the noose on them. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things I'm a real, I'm a real believer in like efficiency and, you know, being effective and, you know, making a plan and making a plan that's going to work, being patient, maybe not going in until the right circumstance. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm big on, uh, you know, having someone keep their eye on what you're going after. Yeah. I think that's a huge mistake that people make is um, they, two guys up on a knob, two buddies, they spot a buck or a group of deer that are running around and they say, let's go after them. Well, the best thing is leave someone up to right. watch them so that when you go down and get, you know, you're moving and they say, Hey, you know, a quail hunter came through and spooked the whole thing. You're going to waste all day yeah. or they can at least give you the signal, whether it's, yeah, they're still right there. So, you know, you're in the game. Mm-hmm. You only have so many days to hunt. So be as efficient with your time as you possibly can. Yeah. How is the pressure out there? Is it pretty, pretty heavy or what's it like? So I think, pressure is relative. Um, and I think there's a little bit unknown with, you know, a bunch of these units getting shut down. I think there's like 25 units or something like that, that got Mm. shut down. Wow. So I think what it's going to do, unfortunately, I think it's going to push a lot of people into, um, you know, other areas Mm because they're limited now as to where they can go. Um, so I really don't know the answer to that question. Um, before when the whole state was open, you know, uh, it it wasn't, it's usually not that big of an issue, but Mm -hmm. I think this year it's probably going to be more of an issue. Hmm. Um, but you know, if you're just coming out wanting to shoot a branch antlered buck, I think there's enough to go around that you're going to have some opportunities and I think you'll be just fine. Yeah. I mean, um, (laughs) As far as pressure goes, I was in a really uh, easy draw unit in Wyoming um, between two pretty big cities in Wyoming. And so, um, you know, dealt with pretty heavy pressure out there. I was able to fill two tags, so I don't think it can be any worse than that, probably. Uh, You know, I I think uh, as much as you can hunt during the week um, out of that time frame, um, you know, obviously the weekends you're going to have pressure in whatever activity you're doing, uh, hunting, fishing. But, you know, more of the weekdays and, you know, be efficient with your time, you know, be be up on the knob in the dark waiting for it to get light, uh, you know, and just kind of, you know, outwork, if you will. Um, yeah. Everyone else and be just one step ahead of, of, of everyone else. And you should be fine. Yeah. I'll have, you know, let's I'll have a good solid like, man, eight, nine days to hunt and you know, only two of them will be weekend. So that should be pretty good. Um, yeah. And I'm, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, I, I mean, I just think, uh, you know, a lot of people cut their time short and only have three or four days to hunt and that makes it tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think you'll be better with that eight or nine days and you'll get a, you'll learn a lot in those eight or nine days and, um, you know, be able to hit the ground next year or the year after when you come and, and be that much better. And I, I, th- I think it'll be good for you. Yeah. I'm just stoked. This will be the first time I've been on a mule deer hunt. So I'm like just excited about that, you know, just being able to go out there and chase some animals around, you know, and be able to have the opportunity to get an over the counter tag. It's uh, it's pretty cool, you know? Um, so you did mention 
I did want to like ask you a little bit about Mexico because that's something that's definitely interesting to me. I know a lot of guys probably might be interested. They might be like, ah, you know, the logistics or the, you know, might be cost prohibitive. Could you give us just like some, maybe some ballpark figures or just tell us what that's kind of like? Like, is it how, is it pretty easy to jump on one of those hunts or what's, what's it like? Yeah. So for the Mexico coups, I have two options. Basically I have the fully guided option and the do it yourself option. The do it yourself option has been very, very popular uh, over the years. Uh, the meat eater crew, uh, yeah, I, saw that episode. Steve, I think this is like their seventh year. Yeah, I think they've done seven years in a row now, something like that, uh, coming down and doing uh, the do-it-yourself option. The do-it-yourself option uh, ranges around that $3,500 mark, and that's an exclusive lease for your group for the for your hunt. So in other words, it's not a ranch that, you know, a group comes before you and another group and another group. It's that's your group. You know, you get a group of three, four, five, six buddies together and you have a private piece of property wow. uh, ranging from 5,000 acres to, uh, you know, 30,000 acres and that's your uh, ranch for the season. Is and that 3,500 bucks per guy? Uh, I'm sorry. It's, I think it's $3,500 for you to come per person or as a group. Yeah. Per person. Okay, cool. Per person. Yep. And, um, uh, that doesn't guarantee you a buck, but it gets you a ranch to hunt. It gets you a ranch house to stay in, uh, gets you a deer tag and the opportunity to harvest a buck. And, uh, I can hire, uh, a Mexican cook for you to cook, you know, cook your meals. Uh, I also have an escort, uh, that works the border crossings for me that helps uh, the groups uh, cross, uh, the DIY groups, you have to bring your own vehicles. Um, I don't provide any of the transportation. So it's, uh, basically guys come, you know, most bring, you know, side by sides and quads and trucks, uh, the, the mediator crew just rents vehicles right out of the airport and uh, drives rental vehicles down. Um, and, uh, it's just a do it yourself hunt. It's basically a lease on the property and that's your ranch and you guys get to go hunt. And, uh, most hunters hunt for about, so you know, six, seven days. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool gig, man. Um, I think it's, 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 it's attractive to me because, um, I like, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with guided hunts, but I just, my personality, if I have a guide, a lot of times I'll, I'll tend to just kind of mentally check out and just like sort of just follow the guy around. And I think a lot of people just do that naturally. I like being forced to figure it out on my own kind of thing, you know? And so, um, I really like that, that option. And that sounds like a, a pretty good, yeah. pretty good deal, man. 3,500 bucks. Sounds pretty legit. Yeah. You know, it's, um, our DIY hunters, um, have a lot of success. Uh, and you know, every year harvest bucks from 90 inches to, I mean, we've had them as big as 140 inches on those wow. DIY hunts. Um, you know, I would say the average is probably around a hundred inch type buck. Uh, and you know, it, it, one of the things that having your own piece of private ground in Mexico allows you to do is, you know, you don't have to worry about the pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's why it's so popular is, you know, the guys like yourself that don't want to go on a guided hunt, which we also offer. Um, but just want to have basically a lease where they can go and be the only people hunting. I think that, uh, you know, it, it resonates with a lot of people for sure. So is, um, do you like, do you book up pretty fast on those or do you have pretty, uh, a lot of spots or how's that work? Well, both, we have a lot of spots. Um, but we do normally we book about a year out in advance. So right now we're, uh, December 15th of 2021, our 2022 January season. So I, I recommend everyone hunt during the peak of the rut, which is roughly January 10th through the 30th is kind of the 20 day window when it's the best. Um, and we're, we are booked obviously for next month. What right. I'm booking right now is for 2023. So I'm taking bookings now and, and through the hunt and when i get back from the hunt i will be booking hunts for the following january 
Okay. So I'm, I'm taking reservations right now for next January. You still got a pretty good amount of spots open. Yes, I do. Cool. I might, I might have, to, I'm thinking about, I might have to hit you up on that, man. Um, do you got, do you have mule deer down there as well? Or is it coos deer only or both? There, there are mule deer, but I just strictly do coos. Okay. Uh, just do coos and Gould's turkey. Okay. Cool. Gould's turkey is in the spring in April and May and, and coos is, uh, like I said, I focus from that about the 10th through the 30th of January, uh, during the peak of the rut when the bucks are chasing does and, and, uh, really out in the open and, and, you know, running around and, you know, acting like wild men. Yeah. <laughs> That's always fun, man. Um, so yeah, we're, um, we had a really good conversation here. There's just a couple more things I wanted to hit you with you real quick. Um, um, one thing real quick. So the moon, I noticed the full moon, I think is around the 12th or something this year, January, somewhere in there. You 17th. think that's going to have 17th. Okay. It's the 17th of January. You think that'll, that's going to make things tough or. Yeah. To me it's, it's yeah. The 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th the moon phase in those four or five days, whenever they fall on the 15th through the 20th, it's a really challenging time in Mexico speaking specifically because those deer, the biggest question is, are those deer going to rut before the moon? Are they going to rut during the moon? Or are they going to rut after the moon? I would rather have a full moon at the beginning of January or the end of January mm. when historically over 26 years, the rut is like the 10th through the 30th when that moon falls on the 17th, what that does is it's so bright at night that those deer, those bucks are chasing those does at night. And then they tend to at prime time lay down. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really change what they're doing that much. What it changes is our ability to see them because it's light, you know, the four or five days leading up to the full moon, four or five days after the full moon, it's virtually light out. You don't even need mm -hmm. a flashlight to walk. Yeah. And so they're just running around. And so they're, they're, they move less during prime peak hours in the morning and prime peak hours in the afternoon, in the, in the evening. What I do see them doing is moving a lot. So they'll, they'll be running all night. They'll chase. It'll, it'll start to get light. They'll bed down. Mm -hmm. they'll stay down for a couple of hours and then nine, 10 o'clock they're back up and you get a lot of midday movement. Basically, if you were up all night, what would your hours be? You'd be yeah. up all night. Say you're out fishing, right? Mm -hmm. You're up all night fishing. As soon as it starts to get light, you start getting real sleepy. You've done that. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So then you take a nap for three or four hours and then you're like, ah, oh, let's go fishing again midday. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, man, I'm tired. And then you sleep until it gets dark again. And then you're like, oh, let's go again. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a condensed version of, of how they are, you know, how they're acting. But for us as hunters, when you're trying to glass them up and they're laying down and spending time in the brush, it's hard to see them. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, that's why I don't like, I, I don't like the moon this year on the 17th, but there's yeah. nothing we can do about it. Um, do about on it. our trips, our guided trips, we're going to hunt right through it. We're going to hunt the 10th through the 18th and the 19th through the 27th and just do the best we can. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's a ton of really good podcasts out there where you get into like a lot of detail about this stuff. And so I don't necessarily want to be the dead horse, but I just want to, do you have any just just like thirty thousand foot? You've already hit some good ones on this one pot on this podcast, but just thirty thousand foot tips for new guy going out there to hunt again, not necessarily looking for a monster, but just kind of um, kind of starting points that you might point me out to. Not like physical starting points, but you know, uh, strategy starting points you'd kind of give me. Yeah. I mean, if it were me and I was going down in the Southern Arizona deserts to hunt mule deer, I would be focused on where is water permanent all year long. So where are those dirt tanks? Because there's going to be a higher concentration of does near where they are, have readily available water. Mm. So that's number one. Number two is where can I find, like I was talking about before, where can I find as a hunter vantage points to give me the opportunity to get up, elevate where I can see them 
easier and see more of them. Mm -hmm. And then once you do find them, then I would be working on how can I strategically make a stock that's going to be most efficient and go with the highest prior or um, the highest probability stocks. So in other words, if it's a stock that is just in a bad spot and you know it's probably not going to work, I would probably wait till those deer are in a different spot or totally focus and try and find another buck because you only have a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. You have to be efficient with your time. Sometimes being efficient with your time uh, is totally take your eye off that group of deer and start to find another where it's a little bit better terrain where you think, oh, I can get into those deer without being detected. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at a, a, a flat uh, and, and of Choya cactus or Palo Verdes and there's just deer roaming all over and you've got, you know, a particular buck you're interested in. Well, if you know there's no way you can stock without the wind blowing out some of these other deer, sometimes it's better to find a smaller group of deer that's all isolated and by itself that especially if you're just going after any branch antler buck mm -hmm. find something that you can make an efficient stock on rather than one that you know it's like well yeah i can get in there but likely i'm going to blow this whole thing i don't like yeah. wasting my time for sure if that makes sense yeah okay now Great, if man. i'm if i'm after a particular buck a specific buck then you have to just focus on that deer and you have to position around where you, you know, look at all of the different terrain features and be like, I want that buck and I want to spend the whole hunt on that buck because I like that buck, whatever he may be. And it may be, you know, width, it may be, you know, drop time or whatever. Then you have to, that's the part that I really enjoy of like, how do I get that particular buck mm. and hone in and focus? It's a lot like fishing. I love fishing banks where, you know, moving water, row, you know, rowing the boat. I've got a fisherman in the front and, and we're going down the river and I like, know there's the bank that there's big fish. I love targeting and being like, okay, we don't care about these other little fish that we see rising. There's some particular spots that we need to be real efficient with our casts get the mm -hmm. fly in exactly the right spot and you're going to hook a really big fish. That's, that's what really gets me going. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. This has been awesome. So I have one last question. <laughs> Christmas time is coming up. I need a spotting scope, but I want something, I know you're an optics guy. And, uh, so I had to, I had to ask this question. Um, I want something, you know, I mainly primarily do backcountry style hunts. So, and I'm already carrying around a ton of camera gear normally. So I definitely want something as compact, basically bang for buck and bang for weight. If you had to pick one spotting scope optic, you know, kind of what would you point me in the direction of? Well, I, I'm not sponsored by any optics company, but I've been using Swarovski optics for 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, other manufacturers as well for different, you know, certain, certain items and such, but I'm a huge Swarovski fan. I think, you know, the STX, the straight uh, eyepiece with the 65 millimeter is going to fit that compact, um, but still have really good quality. Um, I think if you're going to do a bunch more Western hunts, you know, kicking up to that STX 85 millimeter, um, you're probably going to get a little bit more performance. You're going to get 20 millimeters more of the objective, which is going to get you more light gathering. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're big into filming, you might look at the ATX, which is the angled eyepiece. I'm a big straight eyepiece guy, okay. um, but I know a lot of guys that, uh, uh, you know, do filming and such. They want the angled um, I'm a big straight eyepiece guy for a simple reason of, I like to sit on my rear end when I'm glassing, I like to sit on a pad, um, you know, and put my tripod out and put my binoculars and glass. And when I find a buck, I want to be able to pop my spotting scope up, you know, pull, yeah. pull the binos off, set them down, pop, pop the spotting scope without changing my position. Yeah. In other words, my butt is in the same spot, my shoulders. If you go with an angled eyepiece, you have to either move up to look down or move to the side mm -hmm. and you have to change the center post either up or down. Sure. So that's why I'm a huge proponent of straight. I get not arguments, but discussions with guys all the time about <laughs> why I think straight, straight eyepieces are much more efficient for a Western hunter. That I think your sense. target acquisition is better. And I think you don't have to move your center post or your body position. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, I would tell you that Cody Nelson at, at Go Hunt, uh, he's the, I call him the glassing guru. He can help you, but uh, there's some great Vortex uh, spotting scopes out mm-hmm. there. Loophole makes it some great products. Um, you know, it, a lot of it depends on your price point. Yeah. Um, but I think if you want the best, in my opinion, the Swarovski STX 65 millimeter would be the best. Cool. Thanks, man. Uh, anything else closing up or if you want to just mention also where people can find you if they haven't already been tuned into your stuff. Yeah. Um, America's most wanted on TV is usually where you can see my face. No, um, milk carton. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, most people are listening that aren't old enough to remember the America's Most Wanted TV oh, show. Oh, I remember but, uh, it. Uh, J. Scott Outdoors, J. Scott Outdoors on Instagram uh, is probably the best way to connect with me. Um, you can type in on any uh, podcast search, uh, J. Scott Outdoors, uh, Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast, and it should come up. And I'm happy to help people. I appreciate you thinking of me and, and having yeah, me on here. And appreciate um, you coming on. I'm looking forward to seeing how your hunt goes. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, like I said, if I can, even if I can just see some animals, get some stocks and get some cool footage, I'll be happy. If I were to be able to fill a tag, that'd just be amazing. So, but I appreciate your time and and all the tips and everything. So thanks, man. All right, buddy. God bless to you and all your listeners. You too, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks.